0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to yet another cracking installment of the Matt Brown Show. This is the Built in Texas series, and if you haven't been following along, this is where we are connecting you to amazing founders, just changing the way, well, changing the world for the better, actually. It's probably better said that way, uh, but with me on the line uh, is none other than Tom Vo, uh, the founder and CEO of of a health tech company doing incredible things called new techs health welcome to the show thank you matt so tom what? yeah matt it's a privilege is all mine i think you do something really interesting which uh, i'm super excited to uh share with the world so um uh, so tom i uh, always ask our founders you know like what's your background because i think that's a really important thing and then if you could Paint a picture of what that is, and then give us um, some context around the origin story for what you are doing at Health.
1: Yeah, so my background is that I'm actually an immigrant uh, from Vietnam. I came to the U.S. when I was about 11 years old, Uh, and uh, we actually came uh, to uh, Michigan and Ohio and grew up there, and that was where I did my training, medical school and uh, and, uh, residency, and so on and so forth. But uh, when I finished with schooling, I came down to Houston and worked at a very big uh, hospital down here in Houston. And at that time, this was maybe about 12 years ago. And uh, I, you may know, I don't know if you know Houston or not, but Houston is, uh, is a humongous city. It's like the size of uh, Connecticut. And uh, and uh, I used to work in a, in a place, it's called the medical center, the largest medical center in the world. It's in Houston. But what I found was that people from around Houston used to drive an hour, an hour and a half to get to the medical center to be seen by a physician. And at that time, you know, a thought popped into my head. Of why do these patients have to drive all that way, park in a garage, pay $10, and then go wait in the ER for like, you know, six hours to be seen? And so at that time, we basically came up, came up with an idea to uh, instead of bringing the patient to the hospital, let's, let's bring the hospital to the patient and increase access to the patient and bring a doctor there and have the patient be seen there so that they don't have to waste their time spending all that time in traffic and, and you know, pay $10 to park in the garage. And so at that time, we launched our, our first facility here in Houston. And then from there, we then expanded throughout Houston. And then from there, expanded throughout Texas to Dallas, Austin, places like that. And then from there, we expanded throughout the country. So now we have 22 facilities in nine states. And the the whole purpose is really is to expand access for patients so that if they have a medical emergency, they're able to see us faster and uh, be on their way. And with uh, much less uh, discomfort than going to a much bigger hospital system that uh, may or may not uh, treat them as well as we do. So that's basically the product.
0: Okay. Interesting stuff. So this is like a distributed micro hospital concept, right? Well, it's not even a concept. You've actually, you've actually got some kind of scale, which we'll get into in a moment. But, but what's the issue here? I mean, what's wrong with just, I know the parking thing, but like, what's, what's the fundamental issue around traditional healthcare?
1: Yeah. The the fundamental issue is that there are too many patients and not enough, not enough uh, providers. That's the fundamental issue. Um, and so we're, we're just trying to sort of like, I mean, we're not trying to, to solve that issue. We're just trying to make it better and plug some of the holes. And right now, uh, you know, around the country and, you know, especially with the flu COVID as an example, uh, hospital emergency rooms are inundated with patients. That's basically the fact. And our goal really is just to help decompress some of that hospital system so that we could treat, you know, some of the patients and so not have them, you know, wait so long. And so that's the fundamental, you know, issue is that is that the hospitals are just overwhelmed, and it's just not in the U.S. But if you read, you know, horror stories in the U.K., maybe even Australia, maybe in South Africa, you know, th- th- there's just not enough, um, not enough uh, facilities to treat uh, all the patients. So that's the first issue. Second issue is that we have a a problem with getting healthcare workers to stay in their field right now. There is a mass exodus of healthcare workers. And I don't blame them. You know, I mean, uh, you know, during COVID, they put their lives in danger, going out there to treat patients, and uh, we know a lot of uh, of our you know healthcare workers who actually came down with COVID, and unfortunately, some of them passed away from COVID. And so, unfortunately, it's just a part of the job. And so, there's a massive uh, need for healthcare workers out there, and so that just put more strain on the, the healthcare system as a whole. So that uh, so that when a patient comes, even though even even if there if there is beds available, there's not enough workers to take care of them, and so that's just put additional strain on you know on the whole entire issue of uh, of uh, you know the need that we have. Uh, at least in America, but we know this is a worldwide issue.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went to uh, Greece to help my sister out. It's just a personal story. So uh, she was there with her boyfriend at the time and uh they were in like a head-on collision and it was a whole thing yeah it was it was bad dude and eventually i got the call from my sister and my sister's like always been there for me in my entire life so i'm like i'm like i'm I'm there like just don't worry i'm coming so i went over there and there was an issue with the health insurance like she paid for travel insurance <clears throat> like a premium travel insurance and for some and it was a friday night and because of the time difference uh from Greece to Paris where they were contracted, the office had closed. So she couldn't get pre-approval. And then the private hospitals in Athens were like, no dude, we're not taking, uh, you know, this guy or Chris in uh, because uh, we need pre-approval from the insurance company. The Insurance company wasn't available. So what happened was they, they, they transferred him to a government hospital and it was a Friday night in, in Athens. Tom, I've never in my life, in my life seen such a horror show uh, when it comes to an, like an overwhelming amount of patients and not enough staff. Um right. it, it was insane. It was literally the definition of insanity. And I remember there was this Indian chap who had uh, injured himself in a construction site, walked in him and his two buddies into the ER. They put him onto a bed, after he was standing around for like half an hour waiting for a bed and eventually gets, he gets put onto a bed um, and he gets completely ignored for like hours to a point where he actually gets up and walks out of the ER with like wound in his head. You know what I mean? Like it was just next level insanity. I've never in my life seen something like that. And like, cause you know, like they drive around, like they're doing, in, in Colorado like with no helmets so you have like five five family members on one bike <laughs> you right. know what I mean like it's crazy um but that's uh I, I know what you mean like when it you know when you say like what it means to be overwhelmed and the impact on patients like that I've had a personal uh, story and and I wanted to share that with you so um so I'm on the same page as you it sucks man if you don't get the right help it's a real problem so um how what's the size of this market opportunity tom like have you have you done crunch the numbers to look at well you know in the in the context of what we're talking about what's the market opportunity in dollars would you suggest roughly well you know
1: i i don't know the exact dollar amount but it's humongous so we're just talking the u.s alone there's 50 states Right, and um and you know, in every in every city, you know, there needs to be healthcare. So so that that emergency, that that motorcycle crash, that fall, that car accident that your sister involved in, somebody's got to be the safety net for those twenty four seven, right? And so and so it's a humongous you know need out there. It's a human humongous market. Uh Unfortunately, I don't have the exact numbers, but whatever number it is, if, if I tell you a, a number, you know, it just be just a number. But the point is that. You know, it's a humongous need and personal stories like that. I hear that pretty much every day, uh, about the, you know, the massive uh, amount of patients that are in waiting room. And the honest truth is that, you know, a lot of time these patients, you know, since they're waiting so long, they they either die or they walk away and they get better and they go home, just like that, that chap that, that felt during the instruction worker. And so that's not a, that's not a, a good way to, to treat patients, right? And so there's a humongous need and, and and one of the reasons that we're expanding so much, and by the way, we have at least 20 more locations that are coming up. One of the reasons that we're expanding so much is we have, you know, physicians around the country calling us up and asking us to help them open up a, a hospital to alleviate the need like that. To to prevent that child from walking out and, you know, die on the street. And so and so that's why, you know, we're just so, so passionate about what we're doing simply because we have a real opportunity here. To create a brand new paradigm of healthcare and and help you know as many people as we can.
0: Yeah, what's the uh, what's the dollar value of your life? <laughs> you know exactly. There is there
1: is yeah there is infinite. It's infinite. That's right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, so why why did you decide to solve this one? Like you know what I mean like were, were you I know you were working in hospitals and so forth, but like what was the springboard that led to this idea of the of a micro hospital quote-unquote
1: well i mean you know i i think uh it was sort of like uh, the right moment at the right time uh you know everything sort of came together it was sort of like a luck sort of and you know there was an opportunity uh and i've always sort of like been a physician but also an entrepreneur at heart Um, and so, you know, that was when we took the leap and, uh, knock on wood, we got very lucky and got very successful. And then from there, we just built on to our success and every single dime that we made, uh, from these, uh, these uh, hospital, we invested in the next, you know, venture. And so, you know, that's basically, you know, how we did it. Just one, one hospital at a time slowly, and then continue growing. And then we're still continuing to, to grow, you know, sort of like that now, except the only difference now is that we're a public company. And so it makes growth slightly easier than uh, being a private company uh, and, uh, you know, putting all your savings into, you know, our hospital because now we have some institutions backing us. um, Mm -hmm. Right. And so uh, but but it's the same concept. It's the same passion. It's the same business plan. It's the same growth trajectory. Uh, We just have, uh, you know, a little bit more, you know, regulations and we have a little bit more, you know, uh, people, you know, looking, you know, watching at us uh, from before when we were a private company.
0: Mm-hmm. so um what does the patient's experience look like you know if you say micro how what does that mean when you say like you know is it are you talking about a five beds 50 beds you know like what how big is it when you say micro because micro yeah, yeah. micro means micro am i getting like micro micro attention and micro care too like how does that experience play out in uh in your cons in your in your in your in your business
1: well, no, I mean, our, our, our hospital is actually uh, very well-efficient and well-run. And so that chap that you mentioned that had a, that had a construction accident, had he come to our hospital, he probably would not encounter a patient, a room full of patients. He probably would have been seen and triaged, seen, and probably treated within like an, an hour. Uh, he probably would have waited like 15 minutes and got in, Right. Uh, your your I guess uh, your sister's, I don't know boyfriend or fiance, he probably would have been in right away and seen the seen him and and we probably would have done the necessary treat up and x-rays and and uh, you know diagnostic to to make sure that he didn't have any serious injury. And if he did have a serious injury, then we would then transfer him to you know a much bigger hospital. And so the point is that you know we're much smaller. We're located in areas where there's a need. and uh, you know and we have physicians and nurses that are sort of like all aligned. Uh, to take care of that patient because the other issue is that you know that hospital increase, there's a good chance that the physicians and nurses there are not uh, don't have any what we call skin in the game. Um, and so you know, if the patient sits and be five hours, they don't really care. It doesn't matter, right? Uh, but but for our hospital, you know our physicians our nurses, you know I mean a lot you know I mean they have they have skin in the game and some some of them have stock ownership, some of them have a personal investment in the hospital. And so they're going to go the extra mile to make sure that that patient on, on the backboard is seen quickly, taken care of, and, uh, you know, uh, dis- disco appropriately. And they're going to go the extra mile to do that.
0: So, Tom, how many – this is obviously uh, – you mentioned to me like you're actually – you cannot cope with the demand, in fact. Um, and you've, you've scaled this really quickly. So how many – just paint a picture for our audience around the world. Like how many locations do you have hospitals in currently?
1: So right now, we have 22 locations in eight states. Uh, right now, we're just in the U.S. I mean, there's plenty of work in the U.S. alone. Uh, but we, we have about 20 to 25 projects that are either under construction or, or in very deep development uh, in another, I think, six states. So in about two years, we're going to be in 14 states. Uh, and, the, uh, and, the, and we're gonna have, probably going to have pr- around 40 locations in about two, three years.
0: Hmm, It's amazing. So what kind of scale are you trying to get to? Stay with us. We'll be right back.
1: Well, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I've always tell, you know, uh, my staff and, and our, our our investors that eventually we want to get to about 100 locations. Right now, we're at 22. So maybe five times a growth in, in the next 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. So but 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 even at that scale, it's still very small. So, I mean, you, you know, as you know, the U.S. has 50 states. So we have 100 locations, average two per state, which is nothing, right? Nothing. In fact, we could probably put two of them in, De- in Denver right now uh, if we want to. So the point is that even at 100 locations, which to me seems like a lot, but if you if you you know put that in the whole context of being in the U.S., it's you know, it's a very small scale. But having said that, you know I think that even at 100, you know it's still a lot of value to a lot of people because the hospital there, e- even though you know it's a small hospital, there's a lot of things you could do. Obviously, everything goes through the front door with the emergency room, but, uh, you know, we have inpatient beds. You can do procedures there. And remember, the other thing is that we have a massive behavioral health issue with, uh, you know, people with uh, depression and, you know, anxiety and alcohol abuse and, you know, all that stuff. We're starting to treat a lot of those in our small little hospital because there's just not enough, like, like, behavioral or psychiatric hospitals. So a lot of those come to us. And so, you know, we, we have to learn how to treat them. And, you know, we've come we've come up with some pretty sort of like innovative stuff to to uh, to treat patients with, with interventional psychiatry you know, involving telemedicine as an example. So my point is that, you know, think of the hospital as sort of like a car. Once you have it, you can take the car in many different directions uh, to, you know, and to do a lot of good a uh, patient and, and just, you know, basically, you know, take care of pretty much whatever is uh, net, is out there that's, that needs to be taken care of. And then whatever we can, then obviously we will refer to a much bigger hospital system.
0: So what is, how long does it actually take to set up a hospital? Let's just say you, you know, here in um, in Denver, you fi- you find a location and, you know, finding the doctors, setting up the infrastructure, setting up the systems. I mean, creating a hospital is pretty complicated i would imagine yeah. you know uh just even from like a i don't know regulatory regulatory compliance perspective and and systems and training and onboarding and getting right. a, and getting the whole thing to work you know it's it's not yeah. exactly it's not like turning on a car <laughs> i wish right. it was but it's not uh so how long does it take like from from day one to day of operation where you open the doors how long does that typically take
1: uh, I would say about 18 months. So let's just say we want to open in Denver, which we have looked in Denver before. It's a great t- great market, by the way. So uh, so let's just we, we find a piece of land in Denver. And by the way, most of the time we have to build from the ground up because uh, most of these hospitals, micro hospitals just don't exist because nobody's ever done them before. And so, and so we're doing it. And so you, it's not like buying a house where you get to go out there and buy an existing house. It's not like that with micro hospitals because they don't exist anywhere. And so, and so, most of them you have to build from the ground up. Now, having said that, we have acquired you know some other hospitals before, uh, and so of our twenty-one locations, we probably acquired probably six of them. Uh, but the majority we built from the ground up. But, but 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 let's just say it is from the ground up. It's about a year and a half to two years to year to basically go from ground to build it up, and then assemble and then put all the equipments in there, and then assemble a team of doctors and nurses to run. And so, no, you're right. It, it is very regulated. It's very uh it's a very uh, complicated process. And, and not only that, the, the people that works in the hospital, I mean you you can't it's not like uh like Starbucks where you could just go out and hire, you know, somebody and, and you know, make coffee. You know, the people that works in there are basically degreed people. Uh you have to be it's a very specific type of training that you have to have. So doctors, nurses, radiology, packs, you know, people like that. And so, you yeah, uh, know, it, it's uh it's it's complicated, but uh, the good news is that We've done a bunch of these, and so for us it's easy. But uh, you know, for somebody else to do it, uh, it, it can be daunting, depending on you know the the experience that they have.
0: Yeah, I'm not doing it. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I'd love to teach you one of these. Days. Yeah, <laughs> not we'll do- you want to learn it. You may not want to learn it. No 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 thanks man. <laughs> That's way too much hard work for me. Yeah. Uh no thanks. Um but um but how what makes this thing work? I mean, I'm very curious. Like you've I mean, when did you open the first one and now you're in 22 different locations, eight states roughly. How how many how long has that taken that that holistic journey from start to finish?
1: Oh so um we started in '09. 09. Or The first and by the way, we probably built over 30 of these locations, but throughout the years, we probably sold about eight or nine of them to somebody else, or you know, shut them down. But no, the way it worked mainly is because we're small. We keep our we keep our costs down compared to the you know much bigger hospitals where they have massive expenses. Our costs are low. We focus on maybe three service lines. We have the emergency room, we have the sort of like the outpatient, you know, imaging and things like that, and we have the patient side, and that's it. Compared to like a much bigger hospital system where they have everything, you know, they have oncology, they have, you know, they have uh, you know, orthopedics, they have behavioral, they have OBGYN, right? We just focus on three um service lines. And so that's how we're able to make it from a business standpoint. So from a business standpoint, you know, we have a relatively high uh, margin business, and then we have a very relatively low cost And so that was, that's basically, that's basically it. You know, uh, we have
0: relatively high revenue and, and, and low expense. So who's buying these micro hospitals?
1: Well, right now, um, I guess if we do sell, then, 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 then the, the people that would most likely buy it are the other bigger hospital systems. So like, for example, in Denver, I'm just using Denver because you're there, but, um, But, you know, in Denver, there's like three big hospital systems. And so if we buy if we build a micro hospital there and for some reason we want to sell it, one of those systems will buy it. And do you know why? Because it's already built. It's already licensed. And for them to buy it is a lot cheaper and faster than them having to, you know, build it themselves. And then not only that, they want to buy it because they don't want their competition to buy it. Because the worst thing... For them to not buy it is if, is if they're competition by it. Because if they're competition by it, then they would basically use that as a referral source for their other hospitals. Right. And so, but but obviously we're not selling, but if we do need to sell and, and as the hospital, then really the, the only other people that could use it are other hospital systems that, that could move into an existing facility and operate it right away. And in fact, we have the same game plan. We're actually looking at you know three other hospitals around the country that are that are already built, but that but that are you know in distress, and so you know we'll probably take it over and then run it ourselves, you know using our our own internal system, and then you know maximizing you know the the productivity.
0: Got it. So um, I've just googled uh, New Tech Health. You've raised over two point four billion. Is that correct?
1: Oh no, we I, uh, well. Honestly, we have never raised any capital before. It, it's all been self-funded uh, mm-hmm.
0: from day one. So, well, the Crunch base clearly needs to get their data sorted out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. we're public, so we have all kinds of information out there. So,
0: okay, yeah. So it's interesting, right? So anyway, it says your total funding amount two point four billion. Um, what is your? Um, what have you learned? Um, you know about funding. I know you said you were kind of like bootstrapped. I don't even know where to go now. Are You bootstrapped or not? Because <laughs> literally it says post IPO equity, new techs, hard. That's you, man. Two point four billion. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so have you raised money? You haven't raised anything, hey?
1: Yeah, you know. So so we became public because we wanted uh, as a, as a you know a, a, as a vehicle for growth. Now and then we also wanted. To use the public currency as a way to, um, you know, sort of like incentivize our doctors and our nurses, uh, and, and, and give them sort of like skin in the game. Um, but we did not become public to raise capital. So that's one difference with us, because we, you know, wow. we were, I mean, we're making enough to, you know, fund ourselves. And so, and so, you know, most companies, you know, go public to raise capital. Well, well, we did it for a different reason. We did for more of a strategic reason. Uh, and so, in some ways, we're sort of like under the radar from that standpoint. And uh, having said that, you know, as a public company now, we'll probably we need we will need to go out there and talk with investors, and and raise capital because otherwise, you know, our stock is going to be flat, right? Mm. But uh, no, I mean, I I think definitely we are we will start that you know roadshow, uh, because when we did our our, 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 our we went in public, we did a uh, what's called a reverse merger, where we didn't really have to go to the roadshow and talk with investors and talk with analysts, but the downside is you don't talk with investors. You don't talk with analysts. And so, you know, our stock is competing with like the 6,000 other stocks that are out there. And so the investors, you know, they don't know, you know, you know, to look for them. And if they don't know who you are, they're not going to buy. And so if they're not going to buy then you know, you're not going to have a lot of, de- of demand for that stock. And so we're slowly going out there and, and, and you know, changing that. Uh, but, you know, we, we have time uh, because, you know, right now, you know, the operations is very strong. Um, uh, it's just that the, we need to do a little bit more work to, you know, get our name out there and, you know, pound on the chest a little bit to let the investors know, you know, how great of a business of, of a company we are.
0: Mm-hmm. So just for our audience, did you, so you didn't, you didn't do like VC, you went straight to IPO. Is that correct? Yeah, we,
1: we, 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 we identified a company that was already public. Right. And then we merged with them. Okay. And so we basically took over something like, uh, I don't know, 94% of the company.
0: Um, uh, I see like that.
1: Yeah, it's called reverse merger where where you 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 identify a company uh, that's already public that may or may not be in distress that are, you know, not trading very well. And then you merge with them. And then in, on paper, they acquire you, even though you, you would then become, you know, the majority shareholder of that company. So that's how we did it. And so we didn't have to go through, you know, talk with investment bankers or anything like that. So that's now, now, yeah.
0: So that's why it's 2.4 billion.
1: Probably, yeah. So the valuation at that time was 2.4, that's right. That's right. And that's probably how they got that's right.
0: That's really interesting here. And how did that all come about? I suppose you do not wake up one morning and go, hey, let's reverse merge.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, basically what happened was that we had an idea to become a public company. And, and, And like I said, you know, Become a public company for strategic reason. Use it as a basis to grow, so that we could scale, and then we can use it as a, as a as a as a vehicle to basically bind and align everybody, our, our doctors and nurses, and give them sort of like that currency. And so and so after we did that, then you know obviously there's there's three three ways to become a public company, right? First one is like the traditional IPO, where you file paperwork with the SEC and you know did all and. Talk with bankers, get an investment banker involved, you know, get a, get a lead bank, get an underwriter, you know, all that stuff, you know, kind of copy. So, and so, you know, that we could have done that. I mean, it would have been very expensive and time consuming. And so, so that was one option. The second option is, is to do what's called a SPAC, reverse merger or, or like a SPAC, um, you know, uh, uh, mergers where you have to identify like a, like a, um, uh, like a public shell, and then you reverse into that. The downside with that is that you have a bunch of investors that basically, you know, dilute your company because they have a lot of money that are, you know, they want to dilute you. Third way to do it is what we did: reverse merger, which we just identify a shell, and then you and the shell just need to agree on the price, and, and you combine the company and you become a public company. So we decided to do the third way. You know, the, the the benefit of doing the reverse merger is that obviously it's relatively quick and fast, and you don't have to, you know. Have a lot of, uh, of uh, people, you know, agreeing to it. The downside is that number one, you don't get, get any, any, any capital. You don't get any capital waste because when we merged, we didn't have any capital. We didn't, we didn't have any other investor except for the shell investors. Uh, but, but the, the other downside is because we sort of like did it the back way. Uh, nobody knows about us. No bankers know about us. Nobody follows us. We don't have an analyst covering us. And so, you know, that's sort of like the answer, but, but it was the quickest way to become a public company. And, and and honestly, you know, looking back, it was the right way to, it was the right thing to do for us.
0: Very, very interesting. I'm always fascinated by the way startup, well, companies raise money or not <laughs> or become liquid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's fascinating. It's like, I love America. I mean, this is, I love America because it's so capitalistic. It's like, The things you can do here—it's like you'll—you and I are like kindred spirits in the sense of like you know came from emerging markets, landed in the U.S. and it's like now it's now it's like the land of opportunity, right? And I was talking to a couple of my American buddies uh, yesterday over coffee, um, and we were talking about because I'm talking to a lot of investors and, and I'm getting into this interesting um you know space where i'm I'm almost the intermediary between companies and investors anyway conversation for another time but uh, we were talking about different structures and and the legal structures or the financial instruments and assets that you can use to create leverage you know what i mean it's the definition of what a venture capitalist does you know what i mean it makes money out of nothing <laughs> so to oh, speak. yeah
1: No, no, you're right. I mean, America is the best country, and you know, both of us are immigrants, right? And so, and so, we're just taking advantage of what America has to offer. And and if if you will, if you have the will, you know, you could do it. Uh, And it sounds like you know you're doing great for yourself. But but the point is that yes, there's just a lot of ways to do it. You know, I mean, our way is just one way to do it, but there's there's a lot of different ways to you know become successful.
0: So, um, so two things on this: How do you believe in the American dream? Like as an immigrant.
1: Of course, mm. of course I 100 percent believe in it, it yeah. The dreams do the dreams do exist a lot of people are saying that you know the dreams harder to achieve, which they may be right, who knows but no 100 percent 100 percent believe in
0: it me too i'm a I'm a total believer. I was talking yep. to a friend of mine this morning because I mean, like now it's just you know, like the whole of America ha- has been built on that idea, right? The American Dream, the Italians, you know, the Jews in New York, like you no. know, and all the other immigrants. And in fact, like it's a funny story when when uh, when we moved to uh, Denver, we were looking at houses, and of, let's just say we looked at ten uh, houses to let, and I, I shit you, not Tom, nine on average, I would say probably like 90% of houses to let were owned by immigrants. It's crazy. It's like, it's amazing. And then even on this show, like I would say probably 70%, maybe higher are immigrant founders. Right. It's mad. It's it's crazy. So it is absolutely true. I believe it. You know why? You know why that is? Uh -uh. Because they
1: have to. They have to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I can tell you that my kids, they probably won't follow the same footsteps as me. Because they grew up with a different mindset. They grew up with, uh, you know, sort of like everything sort of like given to them. So they didn't really have that struggle or even the chip on the shoulder to, you know, to succeed. Whereas we had to. We had to fight our way. And, you know, I like to think of myself as a kid that came from the streets. I'm sure you did, too. Uh, and, and that's a compliment, by the way coming from the streets and, you know, have to, you know, have to learn the hard way and, you know, make a bunch of mistakes and get punched in the face and then get back up again. So, you know, that's, that's sort of like where I, you know, the way I think, but, you know, my kids, maybe even your kids also, they may not have that, you know, that drive or that hunger to succeed. Right. So, you know, to me, you know, being an immigrant is is sort of like the best thing that's ever happened Again, it forced me to, you know, reach new heights and, you know, and, and create new things. Whereas if um, if I was, you know, maybe second or third generation, I definitely would never, you know, have that sort of like, you know, need or that will to, you know, succeed. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but, that, okay. but, but that's basically what I see. And, you know, they say that, you know, you know, success basically evaporates by the, by the third generation. And I do believe that. And so, so maybe my kid will be okay, but my grandkids and future grandkids, they're probably gonna be like nobody's. <laughs> They'll be <laughs> like, you know, the, the normal, average,
0: so. <laughs> yeah, well, if you uh, get them to listen to the Matt Brown show, I think that'll change quite quickly. It okay, change, <laughs> that's right,
1: that's right, yeah. Everybody needs to listen to the Matt Brown show, that's right.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think the thing is, you know, like, it's funny, I've had I've been really blessed to have like billionaires on the show and, you know, just really remarkable people. Um, New York Times best-selling authors, Navy SEALs, yeah. Olympians, like, and yeah. you know, like, and I know, like, I've asked a few of them, and then I actually stopped asking them because uh, the question was like, "Do you see yourself as successful?" And and eventually, the answers were so it was so one-sided. I just stopped asking asking, asking that question because no one sees themselves as successful. Do you know what I mean? What it is. 100%? You do I know you the same, right? You don't see, even though like you've done what you've done, you don't see yourself, yes or no, as successful, right?
1: Yeah, no, no, I don't because because you know I, to me it was just it was just normal. Uh, what I do is just normal, like that, like something that I have to do, um, yes. in order to get to this point. You know what I mean? It's not like to me it's not like work or anything like that. It's just I just have to. It's just like you know the passion that I have. So yeah. I don't I don't see successful. At all. It's just, you know, it's just like a run, like going to work and, you know, it's a regular everyday thing.
0: So, um, what does success mean for you now? If If you don't see yourself as successful, what is success?
1: I think success is more than just, you know, what you're worth, how much money you make. You know, to me, success is being able to do what you want to do. That's success you know, tied to a, a desk or, I mean, or, or if you want to you know, be tied to a desk, you can, but that means that you're successful, right? So to me, it's just a freedom to do whatever you want to do. If you want to travel and network, to me, that's success, right? And so to me, sometimes I do envy, so like the guy that just, you know, could take off three months and just travel through Europe without caring the world. He may he may be worth, I mean, he may have, you know, hundred bucks on the bank, but he's got that freedom to do whatever he wants to do. Right. And and to me, that guy, that's a successful guy, not the billionaire who's stuck in the boardroom day by day, getting stressed over, you know, this and that. You know what I mean? I do. So, I do. so it's just a different sort of like mentality. So,
0: yeah, it's, I think success is like it's not a destination, it's the process. Like you have to find success in every day. You know I'm what I'm sorry. saying? Like, because if you add up all the day, it's like, you know, that's, I don't know if we've heard that saying, but it's like uh, trust is earned in uh, drops, but lost in buckets. So it's the same idea with success. It's earned in tiny drops. You know what I'm saying? But if you, right. if you put, if you make the wrong decision, you know, if you fuck up, like you can put it in, you know, like you can lose all of that success. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you did the wrong reverse merger. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> oh, I I
1: hear you it is very it's very brutal I mean I I've, I've I've heard it I've heard of people who may, who become quote very successful and then they lost everything but then they build it back up again right and so yeah there is a lot of uh, yeah it, it's all it's on the eye of the, of the beholder
0: 100% so- so I've got a, this, uh, I met this uh, guy uh, yesterday. Um, His name's Evan. He's probably listening to this, (laughs) but uh, he was telling his, his, one of his relatives is like legit a billionaire. Um, And he was, and Evan was working in like, you know, corporate banking, whatever. And then 2008 happened, couldn't find any work. And so his dad was like, yo, like get in touch with this guy. And, you know, anyway, so he meets him uh, and he's like, and he basically, this billionaire says to him, look, do you want to be like wealthy? Or do you want to be very wealthy? So he's like, well, okay, well, very wealthy. I mean, I don't know. So he says, cool. So that he, he gave him this uh, thing. He's like, cool. So I want you to think, like create a lemonade stand that makes $10,000. And I want you to go away and think about how you're going to do that. And it was probably like an intellectual, you know, exercise he wanted him to do. So he goes away, spends like seven hours doing this whole thing. And he writes out like this business plan, and you know, with eventually they're going to like you know sort grow the lemons and da da da, and he th- you know, proper business plan, you know. Um, and so then he meets with this billionaire again, and, and the billionaire says, "Right, so before you tell me what you've came up with, I want you to know that everything you've thought about is wrong." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so then long story short so he tells him everything and he's like no 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 he said he said the one the thing and anyway there's a lot of context there and nuance but where it landed was his his lesson was um you know you you, you haven't bothered to ask any questions right uh, you know what i'm saying like you right. haven't you haven't bothered to really ask and find out what the problem is that you're right. trying to solve or what have you um and it was an interesting thing because this he also said to him he said you know most entrepreneurs like you know they broke most of them like they just make they just they're doing okay you know what i'm saying like that they're not they're not at that level yet so what happens is it's like you know you, you you're operating at let's just say a three in net worth for a long time like 25 30 years and then I mean, it's not, I'm saying more for most of us, right? Not, not for everybody. And then you have this liquidity event. And some, sometimes it happens in your 20s. Sometimes it happens when you're in your 50s. But when you have it, that's when you, that's when you become rich. And and wealth is not about the money in the bank. It's about, to your point, about your friend, like that travels around and stuff. Like it's how you get to spend your time. That's right. That's what true wealth is.
1: Yeah, no, we're 100% on the same page. 100% on the same page.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. So tell me, um, Tom, where are you? What's the ultimate difference you hope to make here? I mean, you've done a reverse merger, $2.4 billion valuation, what have you. You're, you're projecting to open up another 20 hospitals by the end of 2024. Like, where's this all going? Like, what's the ultimate contribution you feel like you want to make?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think we're fortunate enough to pretty much be doing okay. And so, you know, right now we're just going to continue to grow uh because we're still getting so much demand from you know you know folks around the country that we just can to grow, continue to grow the model, continue to bring value to not just the patient, but the physicians, the community, you know, so on and so forth. So we're just gonna continue to go until until we can't grow anymore. And uh, you know, uh, you know, right now I'm relatively young and I I love what I'm doing and I'm just gonna continue to do it until I don't like it anymore. And so when when I when I start hating my job and then, then that's when, you know, I quit. But for now, you know, I, I don't see any stopping right now at this point. So mm. I I would say probably at least 10 more years. I mean, you know, I hate to put a number in there, but we just continue to grow until we can't grow anymore or, or you know, or we hate what we're doing.
0: So on that, what what do you think you would miss the most if you were not doing what you do right now?
1: Um. You know, I think just dealing with people would be probably the the, the least stressful. I mean, the, the uh, miss uh, dealing with people with, will be what I miss the most. Dealing with you know our great employees, our physician investors, physician partners. You know, it's just fun dealing with people and talking to people and and uh, you know, sort of like uh, you know showing them you know our vision and uh, getting alignment. You know, and things like that. Uh, you know, if and when I stop doing this, my guess, and and same with you, Matt. I mean, I don't see you ever slow down, right? Uh, but you may just do something different. And if for some reason the Matt Brown Show isn't around anymore, I'm sure you you're gonna have something else just as successful, right? Uh, but uh, the point is that you know it's all about the people. It's all about you know dealing with people and and uh, and making them making sure that that they're taken care of, uh, and making sure that they're happy and and content in their lives. And you know, to me that that gives, that gives a lot of satisfaction actually.
0: Well, I think
1: that you know was, we do not just a patient life, but also our physician investor, our nurses, you know, and and things like that. And that to me is kind of the most, you know, success. It's the most, uh, you know, you know, gratifying part.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that um, what I love about what you're doing, I love this idea of like you know the purpose of of an entrepreneur is not to not to live forever, but it's to build things that can. And what you're doing is one of those things i would i would also say that the matt brown show is a similar thing you know what i mean like let's just say god forbid anything happened to me like it would be pretty much impossible to pull (laughs) the matt brown show down from the internet it's like it's in too many places you know what i mean um so and you know and let's just say like that happened my kids you know when they were in their 20s they wanted to figure out what dad was about like they would be able to go to youtube you know what i mean uh, right. And and see what it was about. It's about legacy, right. you know, and and uh, building things that really do last the, or, you know, last the test of time. Right. Yeah. So, no. No.
1: It's posterity. It's posterity. It's leaving a legacy, like you said.
0: Exactly. So t- uh, so let's two questions, Tom, and then we'll wrap up. One is, um, if I gave you the keys to the Matt Brown Show time machine and, and you could go back to like day one, right? <laughs> Zero micro hospitals. What advice would you give yourself about building Newtek's health?
1: Well, uh, I think the first advice is uh, choose the people you want to hang around with wisely. Uh, you know, uh, you want to choose the right people that's going to grow, and that's not going to you know you know uh, drag you drag you down. That's number one. You choose wisely the people because if you choose wrong and make a mistake, that's like a two, three year commitment that you have to get out of. So that's the first, to me, that's the first thing. And Once again, it's all about people and choosing the right people to partner with and work with is very, very important. Now, unfortunately, sometimes you can't tell. Sometimes people turn out differently and they work what you expect. And so, I mean, that's just part of life. But if you can, you know, choose the right people to, to partner with. Number two is have fun. No matter what you do, have fun, right? Because life is not worth it if you're miserable all the time. And so, even once again, going back to that billionaire that's stuck in his uh, boardroom every day and worrying about this and that, he's rich, but so what? It's not fun. He's probably gonna die, you know, early, right? Whereas that guy that's traveling the world, you know, he's got he's he's got no care in the world. He's gonna he's gonna survive much longer than that billionaire, as an example. So the point is, have a lot of fun, Um, be grateful. Um, and you know, try try to you know try to help those around you, and and always give, because in, you know, my opinion, my opinion is that you make more when you give and you share. If you don't share, if you don't give, then you know it's not worth. It. So you got to share, and you have to give. And if you do those two things, then then you you're, you're most likely gonna be more successful than some of the other guys.
0: Mm-hmm. So I do the show, dude. <laughs> like I hundred percent agree with you. So, but listen, Tom, thank you so much for being on the show, man. It's been great to have you here. And you know, here's to your legacy. And I hope you get what you know everything that you hope for.
1: Likewise, Matt, and congratulations on all your success. And I hope the show continues to be a smash. Going Thanks, Tom.
0: Forward. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, everybody. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Thank. you.